0: You're listening to Juicy Podcast. I'm your host Tony Bontriguilupo and in this episode I am honored to have a chance to speak with Casper Turkyle. He's a ministry innovation fellow at Harvard Divinity School and is the director of possibility of the Impact Lab at the On Being Project. If you know the On Being podcast, that organization's up to some amazing stuff. Casper's probably best known for a report, a report that he and his collaborator Angie Thurston produced called How We Gather. It is a an amazing PDF with uh, and document with a bunch of uh, just a, a really incredible look at what is happening in the world of belonging, loneliness, gathering. It is, it touches on uh, things from a a divinity standpoint and from a community standpoint, from a societal standpoint, it's all very, very relevant to the co-working world. So we get into a lot about kind of the bigger picture, the bigger context of what's going on in society right now, and where co-working currently and really could fit into all of this, I think this is hugely important in terms of where co-working needs to go, where it's going to go, and so uh, the more that you're able to dig into some of the work that he's been up to and uh and just get a sense of it from all this uh from what we discuss in this podcast the more valuable it will be to you uh in the coming years so without further ado let's get into the conversation with casper really really grateful that we were able to get some of his time for this conversation and i hope you will listen to this and and check out all the stuff that gets brought up in the course of this conversation all that more coming up in this juicy podcast episode 26 (laughs) So, uh, really, truly excited to have you on the program. Thank you for taking the time to join me here. Oh, I'm so glad. Thanks. Thanks again for having me. I will say, just to kick things off, to give us some context here, you spoke at a Juicy conference in New York City last year. Uh, oh, it and feels, feels like years ago already, but it really was <laughs> 2017. It's, it's <laughs> kind of wild. It's kind of wild to think uh, of that, but you really, I mean, there like everyone's socks were knocked off. There were socks like all over the place in the room. I mean, people were blown away, blown away by your presentation. And uh, I'm glad that we get to have this bit of a follow-up to kind of see how things have been evolving for you and where things are going. But I'm just, I'm really
1: glad we get to do this. Thanks, Tony. Well, and I should say that I was lucky enough to be part of a dynamic duo. My, my colleague, Angie Thurston, usually brings the brings the wow factor for presentations. So you'll, ha- you'll have to do with just me for now.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Uh, well, yeah, I'd love to talk to Angie at some point as well. So I, I, I want to kind of get a sense because I think this is important. You clearly have a real passion uh, around belonging, around divinity, around bringing people together, mm. and it aligns with some passion that I have of, of my own. And I know that that comes from somewhere. People <laughs> aren't uh, don't, aren't just inherently motivated uh, because uh, uh, for no reason. So I'm curious where. How did this story begin? Do you have an origin story from maybe when you were growing up or young adulthood mm-hmm. that, that could help me to understand kind of where your motivations come from and how you've developed this, this incredible drive to do all the work you're doing?
1: Well, I I think something that still surprises me is that I ended up in a divinity school because I I didn't grow up with any sort of religious background at all. Um, Both my parents are Dutch and I was born and raised in England, which are both culturally very secular when you compare it to America. So I, I didn't know anyone who... Um, you know, talked about God or went to church or synagogue or anything like that. But I grew up in a village that was very, very community oriented. I went to a, a, a Waldorf school, a Steiner school, which for those of you who might be familiar with it, it's kind of like an alternative education. So lots of focus on creativity. Um, you kind of celebrate the festivals. So you know, we went to sing to barnyard animals on Christmas Eve, and we danced around a maypole on the first of May, and. Um, you know, I remember seeing at some point a woman walking a goat through the village. Uh, so it was quite, it was quite an unusual place to grow up in. Um, but I, but what was very powerful about that experience was how strong the connections were. So we, my mother ran a bed and breakfast. You know, we rented out the top floor of our house to, to lodges, um, and so just there were people coming in and out of the house all day, um, and and there was a, a real kind of sense that we were there together to do things, to create things. Like people chose to move here because they wanted to do something differently. They wanted, you know, they wanted to live a meaningful life with purpose. And growing up as a 10 year old, you don't realize that. But I think looking back now, I, I see how unusual that was. Um, but I, I ended up going to a very uh, uh, kind of left, left the Waldorf school and chose to go to a very posh English prep school and then boarding school where I came out um, as gay when I was 15, 16 at school. And so that, you know, you can imagine those years when you're living in a kind of testosterone fueled teenage boy's house are not the, not the easiest. And I think that dichotomy of. Of having this place of of warmth and connection, and then being in this place, which was academically very stimulating, but socially deeply isolating, um, that really left an imprint on me. And and I I, I really spent the rest of my uh, kind of twenties and now in my thirties, really trying to build a world of joyful belonging. That's the language that I use, um, because I I know what it feels like, and I know how much it sucks when you feel like you're out outside when you're on the margin, when you're, when you're on your own. And so I've, I've always been interested in, in, you know, what, how how do people form meaningful relationships? What does it take to feel like you're part of, of the inside? Um, and I, you know, I was a climate activist for many years. I I got really involved with uh, the United Nations climate uh, policy debates and, and, and process. Um, and after a while just kind of felt like the size of the task, right. In terms of addressing climate change and the tools that I had access to as an, as an activist, was so out of sync um, because to, to address something like climate, or frankly any kind of wicked twenty first century problem, um, there's a relationship between the world outside and policy, but also with the world inside, in terms of how we understand us, how we understand ourselves to be in relationship. Um, so, you know, do we look at the world as a, as, a, as a resource or do we look at the world as an extension of who we are? Um, and so I came to graduate school to do a public policy degree uh, here at Harvard and then heard about the Divinity School, which I genuinely thought was just for Catholic priests. Like I had no idea what a Divinity School was. Um, but on closer inspection, just learned that this was a place that, that, that helped you dive into centuries old practices and traditions of community building, of culture change, of, you know, structures of support and accountability, of using song and dance and ritual to help build a sense of, of belonging. Um, so I just was thrilled <laughs> ending up at the Divinity School, um, and, uh, I ended up meeting my colleague Angie and both of us kind of came in with this question of where do people like us who don't fit within a traditional box, right? Like I didn't grow up with your Christian or Jewish or, or whatever, um, where do we find our communities of meaning and belonging? And we ended up going out into the world asking that question and, and, and just talking to a bunch of people and hearing over and over again that places like you know, CrossFit boxes or co-working spaces or justice groups were fulfilling the same things that a religious congregation might have done in the past. Um, and so ended up writing this little paper uh, called How We Gather, uh, which is uh, how you and I connected uh, when I came to Juicy.
0: Gotcha. Okay, And so what I'm hearing, which is really fascinating to me, is that there's kind of a common thread amongst a lot of people now, which is feeling like the world around them has is not that they're not seeing the structures in place Mm. to 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 find the belonging that they that they seek. Mm. That a lot that, you know, that there's these kind of um, existing constructs and they're just not serving the need to be able to find our people. Um, yeah. And what's interesting, uh, in particular to me about what you had just said about your origin is that you actually kind of had it. You got a, a reverse experience. <laughs> where you you actually saw it working first, yeah, and then had the 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 more negative and challenging experience uh, later on when 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 you kind of you know went out into the world and had to deal with that more difficult circumstance. But you had had this impression from younger on of what it looks like when potentially it works better.
1: I think um, this is something we've seen over and over again, Tony, and it's really interesting you pick up on that, which is that the people who end up building successful communities now, and by successful I don't necessarily mean like super profitable, but I mean me, communities of real connection and meaning, right? Places that people are loyal to. Often those people have had some experience in their DNA <laughs> of what that kind of healthy community feels like because it's very difficult to build something if you don't know what what, what it's supposed to feel like, you know what I mean? So what we found, this is anecdotally true uh, uh, in, in the kind of broad context, but it's actually true in the data that we've had access to in the Jewish world that a lot of the new kind of innovative communities, whether it's summer camp, like adult summer camps or, or um, you know some of these fitness communities often the, the people who lead them, um, have grown up with some experience of, you know, maybe they were a preacher's kid or maybe they went to Jewish, you know, summer camp or they've had some experience of what it's supposed to feel like when, when you have that sense of connection. Um, and they're just translating it into a different cultural context. Um, so that, I, I mean, that's something that's really interesting that you picked up on because I think it's true for me that, that, you know, um, like I'll I'll just share one example. You know, we we're recording this uh, in, in in the end of December and around this time of year. Uh, my parents would always invite the the head of the school of storytelling of which of course there was a school of storytelling in the village I grew up in um, to come and recite a Christmas carol So he would come and like with with a few costume changes come and perform the whole of Dickens's Christmas carol as, as like a fundraiser for a local farm And so like 45 people would be crammed into our living room Which really only fit 20 um, and like for, for two and a half hours He would give this one-man show and I, I just remember sitting on the floor like as a kid, right, looking all around as everyone is like enraptured with this performance. And it's the same thing every year. So there's this, this rhythm to that moment of feeling like, oh, yeah, this is, this is what it means to be a human being alive. You know, like this sense of like we're all here, all together, like r- uncomfortably like rubbing up against each other. But like that, that sense of home was so strong that I feel like that has stayed with me.
0: It's interesting you're saying that the research shows that that's, that that's the case, that there's that uh, connection between uh, a successful organizer and their roots because it, it seems to me that if, if we kind of flip that and say, okay, I want to be a successful organizer, then how can I use, right. how can I use my past as a compass? How can I orient myself based on whatever good experience I had growing up even if it was maybe like something I saw on TV that I wanted, but never got, or whatever it was, right? Like just some impression that I had right. of the way that I want it
1: to be. Right. And-, and I'm, and I'm not sure it has to be growing up, right? Like I, th- I think if, if you think back to moments where you felt that connection of, of, of place and people around you and the sense of being okay on the inside, like what were the conditions that helped you feel that in that moment, right? Like it might've been on a sports pitch where you feel really like part of a team or, you know, it, it, it might be a part of a really successful work team in some way. So I, I, I think it's, I think it's kind of connecting with those memories wherever we've had them. Um, Cause I think in one way or another, all of us will have had moments like that, even if it's not sustained, you know, in the, in the context of childhood.
0: You're right, because just before we started the recording, I was telling you my background and how that that first moment I walked into the apartment where Amit Gupta was organizing Jelly, you know, we were just hanging out in his, his living room to do co-work uh, mm. before there were co-working spaces in New York. That changed my life because of how he did it and what that was. And mm. just that one moment of like, wow, this is how it can work. And so much of what I had done since then was essentially just trying to copy how he did that and what he was doing and just do more of it, right? A hundred percent.
1: Yeah, um, yeah one, one of the biggest things we've ended up doing in our work now, um, kind of supporting uh, innovative community leaders over the last few years was to connect them with, in our language, wise elders. So essentially people who have kind of led communities before, because whether it's a religious congregation or, or a secular group, some of the same dynamics play out, right? Like there's always challenges around leadership and decision-making and what happens if, you know, really horrible things happen, like a sexual assault, right? Like communities live, and so life happens in them, um, and and life is not always easy. Uh, but to to have those relationships, like like the one you were just describing, where there's someone who you can look up to and say, "Gosh, like the way the way that this person was in that place, like that's how I want to be in the world." Um, and and we really try and help facilitate those relationships, especially intergenerational ones. Um. So that you that you can, I mean, this is what I learned in divinity School. Like, you don't have to do it for the first time. Like, people have been doing this for a long time. Even if if the context is very different, the same skills and approach and sensibility and, and care, um, those ones I think are are everlasting. So okay, there's so much
0: I want to get into. <laughs> um, the uh, you're you're also making me think because I you know I coach a number of people building co-working spaces and I give them homework you know, essentially to go out into the world and find other communities and find other organizers okay. for, you know, essentially for networking purposes. But I'm also realizing that exposure to other great communities yes. that are that are living examples is so critical because I think a lot of people, frankly, are sh- struggling to build good co-working communities because they've never actually seen a good co-working community and experienced yes. it. Um, and so actually, you're making me think now when I when I give people homework is, Go find the best communities that you can find and just go hang out in them and experience them. And the, the, those moments of inspiration could probably yield tremendous value for, for
1: a long time. Absolutely. And, and start to see what are the patterns that are consistent. You know, that, that for us was the most exciting thing with the How We Gather research was to say, look, this is interesting. It seems that, you know, whether, whether you're doing, you know, a classical music concert in your living room or you're doing, you know, uh, having dinner with people who are experiencing grief and loss or you're doing, um, you know, a tough mudder, um, the, the there are some consistent things around. Um, and we had these six themes that really came out of, of the How We Gather research. Uh, around obviously community, but also a sense of personal transformation, uh, right? Like I'm, I'm going to, whether it's in my body, I'm going to get fitter or I'm going to, um, you know, like maybe grow my ethical uh, now, a sense of social transformation. So we want to make the world more beautiful or more just, and then creativity, purpose finding and accountability. And so like those, those themes just came up for us from having like tens and hundreds of conversations over a while. And, and so, you know, as, as you go out into the world to look at like, okay, well, let's look at this community center. Let's look at this, um, you know, hockey team. Let's look at this, um, parent teacher association. Like just ask people like, where, where do you find community? And then go, go look up close, go get involved. Um, one of the most (laughs) fun experiences I had was taking my first Soul Cycle class. Not because I was good at it, like I was so out of shape, but what was really funny was to experience it and be like, this is a liturgical experience, right? They're using light and sound. um, They're using physical movement. They're using words and reflective questions, just like you would in a sermon or in, in, in a church service of some sort. And the parallels were just so obvious to me. Once I came in with that lens, you started seeing it everywhere. So going out into the world and, and asking those questions, I think is the just the best way to learn. The fitness angle is such a fascinating thing too,
0: because there's there's this this mutual commitment to self improvement, mm. which I guess somehow the fitness thing has become a, like kind of like a culturally safe vehicle to deliver this. Yes. Yes. Right. We're in a world where religion has become kind of like a, a taboo topic for people to talk, even to bring up God is like uh, yes. almost like a, a, an uncomfortable thing to bring up in mixed conversation. But everybody can talk about how they want to get in better shape and kind of come together around that. But ultimately, that comes back to this sense of well, we want to be. We want to be better. We want to be we want to make better use of this vehicle we've been given and all the you know, all those things. Right.
1: This is really important, Tony, because the fitness industry, there's two levels of value offering. And I think actually this might relate to co-working as well. Like for the fitness world, they have something that's culturally okay to offer, right? Which is you're going to get a hot body if you come and spend time here and work out, right? Like, and a hot body is something that has cultural um, uh, cachet. Uh, and And frankly, we're used to paying for it. Right? Like no one thinks twice about paying for a yoga class, like 20 bucks or, you know, I I see where you're going here. Right. But, but, but the reason why people stay um, in, in the Soul Cycle context, they talk about people come for the body but stay for the breakthrough. In a CrossFit context, often they talk about people come for the body but stay for the community. Both are true in both places, but th- that's often what they lean into. And so, what both, what 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 a lot of fitness groups have been able to do is to kind of offer those two levels of value, where you know pe- pe- people come in the door for one, but they end up staying for another but they can't talk about the second one until they've talked about the first one. And, and and you end up having kind of two tribes, right? The people are coming in for the first time and people have stayed for a long time. And I, I wonder how that would work in a co-working context because you are solving an actual problem in people's lives on that, on that first level, right? Which people are willing to pay for. But there has to be a deeper value um, if A, people are going to be loyal to you, but B, if people are actually going to be changed by the experience of being there. And I think this, this is the thing that I spend a lot of time thinking about now. We use the classical kind of religious word of formation, right? How do you become the person that you feel called to be? Um, and if we think of, of co-working spaces, not just as a, right, we're going to help you have access to a printer and not feel lonely during the day, but like, how are we going to help you become the person that you feel called to be in the world? That's something that I would love to see.
0: Okay, so this is actually, we've had these exact conversations, <laughs> that, that language. We've wow. said, like, come for the office, stay for the community, or come Beautiful. for the workplace, stay for the community. So it's it's amazing how emergent these phenomena are. It's really, really yes. incredible. So, okay, and, and, and in the context of the workplace, this yeah. is something where we also have some interesting dynamics at play because the traditional relationship to the workplace in the corporate context has been right. one where, where there actually has been uh, a sense of belonging in the 20th century. For sure. uh, I forget, I don't have the reference for this, but I, I had heard someone say, or i read somewhere that that the as the secular kind of shift had happened, that people shifted their identity from the, the local town church as being your identity to the corporation as being your identity. Mm. Um, and now that's kind of eroding as things are becoming more distributed and transactional and independent work and all those things. Um, but it's kind of a funny relationship between the workplace and this, all these things we're talking about, the sense of community, the sense of belonging.
1: Um, what are you seeing in terms of that? Yeah, it's, this is something I've really wrestled with, Tony. I, I, you know, on the one hand, I'm deeply suspicious of using the language of community to describe an environment with, um, structural hierarchies, right? Like if, if you and I, or if you're my boss and I come to you, as I would in a place of, 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 a, of, a, of a deep community, let's say maybe something around my mental health or the fact that my mother has a diagnosis of some sort or, or, or you know just something that's happening in my life that makes me vulnerable, um, like you still have the power to fire me, obviously within the bounds of the law, um, right? And, and in an ideal world, a community is a place where we each come as equals, right? Where, where, where we show up, we care for one another, and there's no kind of structural differences um, when, it, when it comes to how we interact with one another. Now, on the other hand, the amount of time that we're all spending in work contexts, the meaning and purpose that we may find in our work, and especially the relationships of, of friendship and accompaniment that we have in an office place, more and more, those are becoming the center of our kind of community and meaning-making lives. And so I do think whether, whether I feel okay about it or not, like this is the reality that we're living into, And so I think there's more and more of a responsibility, uh, certainly for kind of a a, a corporate structure, to provide perhaps some of that pastoral support that you might see in in a more of a traditional religious community. What's beautiful about co-working spaces is that you do have that sense of equality, right? Like that you are coming in there as equals and can look after one another. And, And one of the most important things that I feel in this moment is that is the fact we need to be very specific about when we use a word like community so if we stay come for the co-working stay for the community that means there really has to be a community right otherwise we end up in a sort of greenwashing space where, where we're using that language but we're not actually fulfilling its promise right if you think about the kind of big uh, oil companies who are advertising about their investment in solar energy but their core business was still oil and gas um, like we what we don't want to do and i think frankly what we're already seeing out there in the kind of brand world is that more and more people have picked up on on this longing for belonging um i mean like ray-bans just had an advert that said something like i belong tra- to tradition and i was like you're selling sunglasses like how? <laughs> like <laughs> let's let's be honest about what this is really about right so so if if we're going to if we're going to claim that language of community that means we have to really invest in it right and that that means Yes, in like a, a space in which we can be together and uh, events, but it also means in the, in, I think in the training and support of the leaders of community, because to lead a community is real work and it takes real skill. Uh, and, and right now that's still often made invisible. Um, and, and to lead a community means you need support, right? Like you need mentors, you need other community leaders to process with, you need um, tools and, and, and skills that you can actually learn somewhere like a divinity school um, that you, that you grow into, into your community leadership. So that, that's a question I'm still sitting with, like how to, how to square that circle. Well, you know what, I think,
0: well, I got a couple quick thoughts on that. And I think that's going to lead us to the kind of final general area I want to get into, but I think the next year or two, the next few years are going to be very interesting because so many churches and religious institutions are now getting into
1: co-op. That's right. That's right.
0: I think right now they're coming, with an attitude of "we're here to learn," yeah. um, because they're, you know, they're, they're they're coming because they're trying to figure out how to stop the bleeding and get people in the door and, and get creative about it. Yeah. But I think we're going to learn that we've actually got quite a bit to learn from them mm. about what it really means to build meaningful, lasting, you know, community in the sense of you know, religions are are these massive meta communities that are uh, right. th- on the scale of thousands of years, right? So, one hundred percent. They're probably going to be able to offer a lot to, uh, to this conversation. I will say, just to kind of get on that workplace conversation a little bit and, and what what a person who might be listening to this might want to do in their space, um, and I'd like to get your thoughts on it, but I'll just offer my two quick ones, which is, for one, thinking of the space as being kind of a a hub uh, where the actual connection and activity might happen outside of the context of the official activities mm. so for example i ran this cotivation group in my space where we would identify just in a group what people are needing help with in order to achieve their goals and then that would naturally lead to well i can help you with that and mm. then those people would go and meet and and but separate from the official channels would go and, and and find ways to support each other so there's kind of this sense of well maybe people are there. And it's a more of a business context, but then the, the opportunities for deeper connection happen, you know, serendipitously kind of offline that we are just generating those initial connections.
1: Right. Um, It's like an ecosystem, right? And, 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 and your job is to to constantly be looking for what are the connections that I can make? How can I, I mean, using business language, like how can I create value? Um, But, but in a more of a, a, a kind of religious context, maybe like how, how do I serve the mission of why we're here? Right. Like what's our purpose to be here? Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's a, a beautiful example and to, to always be, um, you know, w- within, within a, a Christian kind of theological context. So often we think about the word church, meaning the physical building when, of course, what it really is, it is when like two or three people are gathered together. Right. And so like, it, how, how do you think of the co working space living in the world? Well, it's not just what happens in the space. It's like, how, how are people who are in relationship through the space and through you as a leader, building beautiful things that change the world outside. Like that's, that's when there's really a bigger mission to the, you know, to, to, to the effort at all. I, I think that's a beautiful comparison. It's I mean, amazing. Yeah.
0: The, the parallels are incredible. Uh, <laughs> we've talked about this with coworking too. Alex Hillman with Indy, Indy Hall in Philadelphia said many times, you know, the building could burn down, God forbid, the building could burn down exactly. and Indie Hall would still be here exactly
1: and, and in fact true first, for every space yeah exactly and sometimes the bu- building needs to burn down for people to realize that I mean that that's what's Woo! happening within, Woo! within <laughs> like oh, that's, oh. that's what's happening within religious institutions right now is that we have this legacy of like uh, essentially communities communities being built around the survival of a building, right? The building has become at the center of the community. And so all the budget, all the energy, all the creativity is is dumped into this building that's no longer fit for purpose. Um, And, and it just sucks all the, all the energy out. Um, And so in some ways, like we're we're in need of this kind of cleansing moment where where you know more and more people are are kind of stepping out of a traditional religious identity and and community because the priorities of these religious communities are frankly wrong. Um, And so I think it's important for the co-working world to not fall into that same trap. Um, And and sometimes a little creative destruction is necessary for us to remember why are we here, you know. Tony, you still out? Oh, sorry. I, uh,
0: I Sometimes I get my mute button wrong. Um, <laughs> the uh, I feel like if I knew my scripture better, I'd, I'd be able to cite ample citation for the, <laughs> the purges uh, that that happen over time. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention uh, to the listeners is the possibility of not trying to necessarily be the builder of community, but mm. be the curator of community and the welcomer and the fosterer. Mm. If we look at the How We Gather report, there are so many case studies mentioned in there of amazing projects, people building really cool communities. And one of the things I'm going to be focusing on next year, Casper, is mm-hmm. raising awareness of all the cool stuff that's going on. And then for, for, for a given person listening to this in their city, they should be able to look at what's happening and say, wow, number one, let me find the people who are organizing this stuff in my city yes. and see if they, they need, do they need space? Do they need Absolutely. support? Can we host them? Like it's super easy. You find an organizer in your city doing something cool, get them into your space and offer them a, a, a home base for what they're doing. Hugely valuable to to both parties. And Absolutely. then secondly, is there something that hasn't been started in, you know, there's no chapter in my city that someone in my community might be interested in, in, in beginning and having the space be an incubator for community gatherings that don't exist yet.
1: That's beautiful. Yeah, and I mean, I've seen this at work when I was in D.C. for a summer four years ago. Um, there was a collaboration between the Impact uh, Hub there and the Sanctuaries. Sanctuaries is one of the, the case studies in in How We Gather, um, which is a creative arts community with soul. That's how they describe themselves. Some kind of multiracial, multi-religious multi-everything community that uses arts to kind of further social justice. And so what was beautiful about that relationship is that um, Impact Hub ended up kind of welcoming all these artists to come in and really like add soul to the physical space. So you end up, you know, those relationships, you often end up in mutually beneficial relationships where, where, you know, the, everybody wins, hopefully. Um, but space is one of the biggest challenges for new communities that are setting up. So offering that in a way that's that's uh, generous and contextual is is fantastic. I mean, just think of the many many groups that use even church or synagogue or, or, or mosque spaces, right? Whether it's uh, uh, AA groups that meet there, or whether it's like dance lessons that happen in the basement, or whatever, like. A, a way a community lives is always when it is serving the broader world. I mean, Jean Vanier has this wonderful phrase of, if a community is only for itself, it will die. So that, there has to be a, an act of radical generosity of stepping out into the world and saying, you know, who, who can we be for? How can we help? Um, how can we be of service? That's, that's a real sign of a healthy community to me.
0: Recognizing the interdependence between communities as being kind of a, a, a necessary thing. Yeah, that makes sense yeah
1: yeah and in fact, th- this is so interesting. I-, I wrote about this in my newsletter recently, but i i uh, I heard a wonderful conversation between um Sharon Salzberg, a, B- a Buddhist teacher and John O'Donohue, who was a Catholic priest until he till he resigned uh, and took up just his poetry full time um about this language of building community and and O'Donohue really pushed back on that framing, which you know I still use all the time, and said, you know community is never built. that's such a mechanistic image, um right. Uh, and, and I've also heard people use this language of growing community, which I liked. It has more of that kind of natural uh, uh, kind of, you know, sense of, of, of seasons, right? Like time when the field needs to lie fallow and when it gives fruit and all of that kind of stuff. But he said, no, community is revealed or it's remembered. Because if we go out into the world and, and see everything as inherently connected, or our job is simply to help people remember that they belong to one another. That that is already done. Like we don't have to build something. It's just about taking away the bits that makes us forget that we already belong to one another.
0: Okay. All right. All right, Casper. Listen, I thought I was really cool and smart because I had figured out the ultimate analogy for this, which was the gardening and farming analogy. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> just took it to another level man
1: right (laughs) (laughs) it's a beautiful conversation. it's from like 1998 it was recorded in some hotel somewhere um you can find it on Sharon Salzberg's podcast
0: (laughs) all right I'm writing it down right now all right so uh real quick you mentioned your newsletter um give me a sense of we've got listeners listening to this we've got 19,000 spaces all over the world people who could be using their spaces as better community centers if I'm if they're listening to this where do you want to send them from here? What should they, what tab should they open up right now and, and head to, uh, w- yeah, what would you recommend?
1: Beautiful, well, I've, I've got three. So the first one is to, to read the How We Gather report, just go to howwegather.org and click on the button reports and you'll, you'll find it there. It's just a 20 page PDF, not a lot of text, lot, lots of pictures, uh, very readable. Um, The second one is, so our project is now part of the On Being project. And so if you're looking for a podcast to kind of reconnect with with purpose and to reconnect with what really matters, um, Krista Tippett does these wonderful hour-long interviews with scientists and theologians and artists, um, which I've just found so restorative. So if you go to onbeing.org, you can find that. And then as you mentioned, yeah, I have a, a weekly newsletter where I reflect on these questions of community and spirituality and and culture change, um, and you can sign up for that on my personal website, caspertk. dot com, uh, just as a button at the bottom to sign up for the newsletter.
0: Amazing, thank you. And just real quick, a uh, little insight into what your twenty nineteen is looking like. Any particular direction that you're uh, that you're looking to go?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to translate um, kind of ancient spiritual technologies, which is a, a word Krista introduced to me. Um, into a current context. So, you know, if you think about religious traditions, there's so much ritual, um, whether it's kind of immersing in water or going on a pilgrimage or celebrating a liturgical calendar, how can we translate something like a calendar, for example, so that a co-working space has its own pattern of time right? That this is the time of year. And so this is what we do because it means this. Um, Because I think things like that hold us in this bigger context so that your and my relationship lives within something bigger than us, um, which always helps to recenter purpose and meaning um, in the interactions we have and the lives we live. So that's something I'm thinking a lot about.
0: Amazing. I, I preach very similar stuff to my spaces, but from a different angle. So I, I have a lot to learn from what you're working on. Oh, and likewise. <laughs> excited to be subscribed to all your stuff, Casper. It is such a pleasure. Very much looking forward to following your work in the future. And I'm very grateful for you taking the time to share uh, everything wow. with, uh, with the folks listening here.
1: Tony, well, thank you. Thank you for your work. And and really a deep bow of thanks to everyone who's doing this work on the ground because it it is exhausting and it can be lonely and it can be hard, but it is so, so special. And in this moment of like the crisis of isolation that we're living in for everyone who's building community, I I really think it's sacred work. So thank you. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, Casper. Cheers.
0: There you have it. That was my conversation with Casper to Kyle. Hope you check out those links, look up his name, look up the stuff that he's been doing, have a look at that, how we gather a report. And there's some other reports as well, Tangential that I think are just so valuable to dig into. There's so much inspiration. And truly check out some of the communities that are organizing in your area that, um, that you might wanna go visit. Check these places out and you're probably gonna learn some incredible stuff. It's really valuable not to just look at, you know, kind of other competitors or other spaces in the same world as you, but to kind of go across disciplines, check out other people doing interesting things. And if you find something that's amazing that's happening in other cities and you want to see it happening in your city, that's how good things happen. That's how coworking became a thing, uh, that it became a household name because people saw what was happening in other cities and did it in theirs. So check out all that stuff. and. Come join us at a juicy conference. We have these kinds of conversations in addition to the conversations about the workspace industry stuff and uh, the the important things you need to learn to be able to build a successful coworking space. These kinds of conversations are taking place as well. So head over to juicy.co to check out when the upcoming conferences are happening as well as all the other good things that juicy is up to. So head on over to juicy.co Check out the upcoming events and I will see you in 2019 in the new year. I'm very excited for all the amazing stuff that's going to be coming. And in the meantime, take care of yourselves, take care of each other and keep being awesome. Bye.